Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to put this in the middle. It won't make any difference, but I'll move around anyway. Luke 15. We're in a series called Learning to Live Loved. And uh, it comes from uh, a prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians three seventeen through 19, where he says, May Christ fill your hearts, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, that you would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We talked about that love being agape love, that beneficial thing for us, sacrificial thing for us. Uh, We've talked about the first part of Luke 15 this morning. We're going to finish up that. Uh, I'm convinced that the people who are the most in need and the hardest to convince in how to live in the reality of the love of God are in the church. Probably come to church every Sunday. Because it's easy for us to talk about God's love. But our working theology, which means the, the theology we live by, we tend to live by doubt and fear. Jesus told a story in answer to a question by the Pharisees and the scribes. Why do you hang around sinners? Jesus tells a story. In fact, he tells three stories about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And Jesus, the one we're talking about, what was you know, traditionally called the story of the prodigal son, but the story actually says a man had two sons. We know it as the prodigal son, but in reality, the story's about the loving father. Most people identify with the younger son who demands his part, receives it, leaves the family, wastes it all, and finds himself in want, and he returns to the father who readily forgives him and receives him back to full sonship. He throws a party for the community because the son who was dead is alive again. But the story doesn't end there. The story's about two sons who are both far from the father. The younger son's lostness is easy to see. It's all out there. His life is for everyone to see. His selfish, rebellious, wasteful, disrespectful And now he's living in the consequences. He's headed for ruin and for destruction. He's lost in the desires of the flesh. But Jesus continues the story about the older son to show that he's just as lost as the younger. He's headed for destruction and he doesn't even know it. He's lost in the darkness of his goodness. Look at Luke 15 verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. We'll stop right there. He was angry and would not go in. I don't know how many times I read this story, but every time I do, I think of that little jingle that says, Every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. Party pooper. You can sing it with me if you want to. 
Yeah. That's who I think when I read this story, I think about party pooper. The elder son refuses to go into the biggest feast his father has ever put on. This was a public display of disrespect for his father. It's a deliberate vote of no confidence in the father's action. Why is he angry? Some say, well, he is jealous. I don't think he was jealous. Probably not because he probably felt all the more superior to this little brother as well as to his foolish father. Well, he he resented it. Well, maybe. But I think where I get in this is I think he was it was all about his rights. His rights. It's not his sin that's keeping him out. What's keeping him out is his own view of righteousness. Of rightness. Right and wrong. Look at verse 29. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all the time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. You see, this, this brother's not saying it's not fair. He's saying it's not right. This son of yours squandered it, squandered everything, and you're letting him back in. I've slaved for you. I deserve to be considered. I deserve to be questioned. I never disobeyed you, and you didn't ever consider asking me. Doesn't it sound logical? Doesn't it sound right? After all, he's the good son. But he's not going in. Would you? If your little brother had wasted everything and your father has let him back in the house and said everything, would you want anything to do with it? You see, this story, Jesus is incredible. He's an incredible storyteller. He just doesn't tell you what's right and wrong. He just kind of leaves it hanging. And find yourself in the story. Sounds logical. The father's lost it. Let's just admit it. The father's lost it. And now he's lost me. He's lost him. I want you to get the picture though of where he's at. The bad son is sitting at the table in the father's robe with the father's ring on his hand, with new shoes on his feet, and he's eating a T-bone. The good son is standing outside, angry and alienated. Let me ask you, who's lost? Who's the one in trouble? It's easy to see the younger brother's sin. It's all out there. Everybody knows. But now Jesus is exposing the elder's brother's lostness. In truth, let's just be honest, both brothers were looking for the same thing. They were looking for the father's stuff. You see, they felt that happiness and fullness in life would come from what the father had. His wealth, his property, his place. The younger wanted to make his own decisions, live his own life apart from the father and apart from the place. 
The elder brother wanted to do the same thing, only he was going to get the father's stuff by staying close to home, by doing right. Rightness would be his way of controlling his life and getting the father's stuff. Here's the point. Neither son loved the father for the father. They both were using the Father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and living in the fullness of the Father's love. Now, I want to share with you a principle that I believe is going to be on the screen. You can rebel against God and be lost by breaking all the rules or by thinking you've kept them all. You see, sin is not just breaking the rules. It's trying to be your own God, trying to save yourself. If you could save yourself, there was no reason from Jesus for Jesus. The younger son rebelled from a distance. He rebelled against the father and went away. The older son stayed home and rebelled against the father to his face. I'll show you. The elder son's refusal to go in shows us that the father's happiness had never been the, the son's gold. He was just marking time. His morality, his rightness, was just a way of getting the father to give him the things in life that he thought he already deserved. So, the title of the message this morning is, When the Rights Are Wrong. When the Rights Are Wrong. You can do everything right and be wrong. You can, you can have behaved, you can have done everything and still be missing the point. So when, when are your rights wrong? Let me say this before I get to that because here's the point. The younger son left saying, I wished you were dead, Father. The older son stayed home and said, I wished you would hurry up and die. Because neither could get the stuff until the father died. We don't say it that way. We say, Lord, give me. And we say, Lord, make me. We say, God, uh, look what I've done. When are my rights wrong? When your rights expose a deep anger. The word for anger here is orge. It means wrath. The depth of it is it means resentment. It means a brooding, simmering anger that is nurtured and not allowed to die. In other words, it wasn't something that he suddenly had a flash of temper. He had a settled anger already in his heart against the father. The father had let the young son go. The father had given him this third. He'd got his stuff. You see, the elder son got two-thirds. And he'd already got it, but he couldn't get a hold of it. He couldn't get his hands on it. He couldn't really be in charge until the fathers died. They were both after the stuff. But one was angry now. A, A deep, simmering anger that's nurtured and not allowed to die grows into bitterness and rots your bones. Why was he angry? Because God owed him, the Father owed him. He owed him a comfortable and good life. Here's the way I would say it for me. 
God, you owe me because I have believed, I have tried hard, and I've lived by the rules. My life ought to be going really well. And when it doesn't, we get angry. It's not right. God, this ought to be different. There's this deep anger. There's this little simmering underneath the surface. You may not ever show it with your face and you might praise Him and honor Him, but really deep down in your heart, in your working theology, you're thinking, God, You have bailed on me. It's not right. It's not fair. What did I do to deserve this? (laughs) A deep anger. It also, when rights are wrong, is when your rights expose a self-justification. Look at verse 29. I've been slaving for you all my life, basically. I've been slaving for you. Let me just say something up front. Elders, brothers, don't slave. Sons of noblemen don't slave. They have slaves that slave. So when this guy saying, I've slaved for you, what that meant is he's gone out of the field and made sure everybody else did the work. He's the one that's been the, he's been the representative of the Father telling everybody else what to do. In fact, he's got to the place, if he's far enough out in the field, it's not about the Father, it's about him. And he's going to do it the way it needs to be done, because he knows right. And he treats the slaves like they're slaves, because he wouldn't have thought himself as a slave if he wasn't have treating them as slaves. We've got to get it done. We've got to get it done. We've got to have a profit. I've slaved for you. He hadn't slaved. But he, what he had done is he had been out in the field to obey God as a means to an end, as a way to get the things for which he, was, he really loved. In other words, he was going to obey the Father to control the environment for himself. I'm going to obey for what I can get out of it. Elizabeth Elliot tells a story about Jesus' disciples. It's not in the Bible, but probably could be. That one day Jesus was walking with his disciples and he turned and said to them, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. He didn't give any explanation. He just said, I'd like for you to carry a stone for me. So the disciples looked around. They picked up, and if you've ever been to Israel, there wasn't hard to find. Lots of stones in Israel. They picked up a rock and picked up. And so Peter looked around. He picked up the smallest rock he could find and put it in his tunic. Jesus didn't give any explanation. Being practical, Peter found the smallest one and began to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me. He led them on. And at noontime, Jesus had everyone sit down. He prayed and all the stones turned to bread. He said, take and eat. And with one bite, Peter's lunch was over. As they got up from the meal, Jesus said to them, I'd like for you to carry a stone for me. This time Peter's got it. I got it. So he looked around to find the biggest rock he could carry. He hoisted it on his back and, made, and it made him stagger. And he thought, I can't wait for supper. And Jesus said, follow me. And he led them on. And with Peter barely being able to keep up. And around supper, Jesus led them beside a river. And he said, now everyone throw your stones into the water. And they did. Peter was confused. Really, he was disappointed. Probably a little angry. Jesus looked at him and said, 
Who were you carrying the stone for? Like Peter, we so often expect our obedience to pay off. And if it doesn't, there's confusion, disappointment, and often a little angry. I justify myself. I've been slaving for you. I've never refused anything you've told me to do. Now, that's a lie. You think any son has ever refused? He may have done it in his action, but his attitude wasn't there. See, he had had justification for anything and everything he did, and justification mainly for his being angry and not going in. Your rights are wrong when your rights expose a tendency to blame. Verse 29, you never threw me a party for me and my friends. I've read this, I don't know how many times I've preached this passage, but for the first time I saw it this week, in these words, you never threw me a party, you never threw me a party for me and my friends. The Father wasn't included in the party. The father wasn't going to be included if he had thrown a party for his older son because it was about him and his friends. It's him and his group. See, the party wasn't... It's amazing to me. Now think about this. You never threw a party for me and my friends. The party that was going on wasn't for the younger son. It was for the father. Because the younger son had been dead and now he's alive again. It was about the grace of the Father. It was about the love of the Father. It was the whole community celebrating the Father's love. But you see, this older son couldn't see any of that because it was all about me. In fact, Father, you're wrong. I'm right. Younger brother didn't have any friends. He left. The party was about the Father. Let me just tell you this to you. As long as you are trying to earn the party with God, earn your salvation by controlling God through your rightness, you'll never be sure if it's ever been good enough. You'll never know if you've done enough, been good enough. You see... We tend to think we would deserve better. No, I don't just deserve better. I deserve the best. Look what I've done. Every time something goes wrong in your life, you wonder if it's a punishment. Because you don't know the love of the Father. Another thing that your rights expose to be wrong is... An unforgiving spirit. This one's going to be fast. The most uh, the the elder brother wouldn't forgive his younger brother for his waste, and he wouldn't forgive his father for his grace. You can't be that good. It's not right. You can't waste it all. It's not right. What he's saying is, I can't forgive you because I would never have done that. I can't forgive you, Father, because I would have never have done that. In other words, Dad, if you'd have died and he'd have come back, he'd have been a slave in the servants' quarters. 
It's not right. An unforgiving spirit. Isn't it amazing how we can hold things against others that we would never hold against ourselves? Finally, the most dangerous aspect of what your rights reveal and expose is a blinding pride. You become a master at recognizing the sins of others, but you're blind to your own. The first requirement for receiving grace is to know you need it. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter tells us. God resists the proud. You know, most of the time we preachers preach on resisting the proud. When the truth of it is, He gives grace to the humble. I like to think about God standing nose to nose, but that's not what this story tells us. Nose to nose with the pride. That's not what this story tells us. So it makes me realize I don't know the Father that well. You say, I still want God to get them, don't you? I want it to be right and fair. What I'm saying is I want it to be done my way. And I don't understand the Father. I don't understand His love. You see, the younger son's rebellion was obvious. The elder son was inside. If you know you're sick, you may go to a doctor. If you don't know you're sick, you won't. You'll just die. Do I need to go over them again? A deep anger, self-justification, tendency to blame, an unforgiving spirit, and a blinding pride. He was lost. Lost in his own blindness. Lost in his own goodness. Lost in his own rights. And Jesus ends this story at an interesting point. Point. The younger son is in the house enjoying his newfound relationship and reconciliation with his father. The older son is still outside weighing his options. And Jesus doesn't tell us what happened. Will he come to know just how, how much he's loved and join the celebration? Or will he remain convinced of his father's foolishness and remain outside angry and alone and self-righteous? Jesus doesn't say. What would you do? What will you do? What will you do? Will you hold on to your rights or respond to the Father? So what did the Father do? Now we're going to go back to verse 28, the last part of that. When the, it says that the older son would not go in. Look at what it says. It says, the, therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. You remember when the younger son was on his way home, the father saw him a far way off and he ran out toward to meet the younger son and he embraced him with kisses before he could even confess. And now he gets up and leaves the middle of the party to plead with a son who won't come in. I want you to... To plead, uh, there's, there's, uh, this, this is important. The word plead in Greek is parakleo. Parakleo. 
It means to come alongside, to entreat. The root of the word means to console or to comfort. (laughs) I can see him going out and saying, son, come in. I can't see him going out to try to comfort his son who's standing in rebellion. What it shows me, just as much in the heart of the father who ran out to meet the guilty son, the heart of the father was to go out and meet the son who was astray. Confused, disappointed, and deceived. Don't see that the father went out to judge him. The father went out to invite him. Come in the house. Join the party. The word parakleo is the same root word that we get the word paraclete, which is the Holy Spirit. More on that in a moment. The Father is seeking that which was lost to Him. In verse 31... And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Jesus is using another word for son here. Eight times he had talked about son, the two sons, the son, your son, all of those. Every time he had used those words, it was weos, which means your offspring. But when the father goes out to talk to the rebellious son who is blaming him, who is self-righteous, who is thinking he's right and everybody else is wrong, when the father goes out to see him, he says, Technon, my Technon, which is meaning my dear child. It's a word of intimacy and relationship. Reciprocal relationship. My Dear son, I am for you. Blows my mind. My dear son? You see, the Levitical law would have said he should have slapped his face as a rebellious son, and a rebellious son could be stoned to death. He goes out and invites him. Not because he's inviting him to come join a party that's already going on. He's inviting him into a relationship and the truth of his relationship that's already there. He just don't know it. Technon, my dear son, you've always been here. All that I have is yours. Let me ask you a question. Where are you in the story? Are you demanding your freedom from restraint? God, I wish you'd just leave me alone. Are you demanding your rights? God, it's not been fair. I've prayed and prayed and prayed and it ought to be different. I've done what you've told me to do. I've tithed. I've done it all. Lord, I've kept the rules. I've obeyed. Where's the stuff? Where's my healing? Where's my blessing? These two sons is a picture of humanity's lostness. 
Man was created from love for love, and humans have rejected God's love in favor of what was perceived to be freedom or advantage. We've all been born into a life where love has been spoiled. The love we receive in this world is always limited by human brokenness and failure. And even the love we give to others is always contaminated by our own self-preoccupation. We long for that perfect love, but we end up with an imperfect and incomplete love, probably because we're looking for love in the stuff of life instead of the heart of the Father. It doesn't have to be that way. Today's Pentecost. Today's Pentecost Sunday. It is a Sunday which commemorates 50 days after Passover when the resurrected Jesus poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. It's a day when the one, the third part of who God is in His fullness came to be very present among us into our heart. Jesus had paid the price of sin. He was raised from the dead. He was ascended back to the Father for which He said was for our advantage. And He poured out the Holy Spirit upon all. He is the very presence of God the Father and the gift of the Son. He's here today to pour out on you the love of the Father. You can be filled with the very person of God's Spirit right now. That means you can live in the unprovoked, unexpected, unearned, unrestricted, unrestrained, unconditional love of God. The Father is coming out to us today. Coming alongside by His Holy Spirit. And inviting us into the house. Come to the party. And I want you to hear this as if he's saying it to you. My dear child, you're here. You've always been here. And all that I have is yours. Come be rooted and grounded in my love. Live from my love, not from the world's love. Romans 5, 5 declares that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, has given, who was given to us. His love is free. It's a fire in your bones. It's fervent and it's fixed and it's faithful. And you can receive Him. The Holy Spirit is coming alongside of us this morning, just in pleading with us, come into the house. I got a feeling there was another robe that the older son could have been robed in. There was another ring that he could have had on his finger. There were new shoes he could have had on his feet. But he wouldn't come in. Don't let what you think is your rights keep you from the table of the Lord's presence of the Lord's love learn to live from this love see there's two kinds of Christians that are sitting in here this morning right now you may be sitting side by side there's a kind of Christian that will obey Jesus 
Because it's right. Because if I obey Jesus, I've got promises and I've got blessings and I've got rewards. And then there's a person sitting right, maybe right next to them that's obeying Jesus, doing the same things that the other's doing, but because they're loved. And they know they're loved. And because they're loved, they love to obey what the Father, because they understand obedience is the best for them. Two people sitting side by side. And let me tell you the difference. One, when he disobeys, he's never sure if he'll get the reward or if he'll be loved. And the other one, if they disobey, it's never a question. I know I'm loved. I know I'm loved. Today you're sitting either behaving and obeying God because you're going to get the stuff or you're sitting and obeying God. and I'm not talking about inactivity. I'm not talking about just setting the love of God and just ooh and goo. I'm talking about being so active and being part of what He's up to that it is His great love that's going to conquer this world. And now I obey out of a love relationship, not out of a law or a responsibility relationship. I respond because I'm able to respond because I'm loved. And if I don't do it right, I'm still loved. I want you to stand with me. The Holy Spirit, God wants to pour out on us His Spirit and, and, and to give you the gift of the Father's love. If I were to give you a gift and I were to hand you a gift, what would you do? What, if I were to give you a gift, what would you do? Mission. If I was going to give you a gift, what do you do? You, you take it. You receive it. You open it. So hold, hold, your, hold your hands out like you're going to receive something. I want you to understand that the Father wants to pour out upon you this morning by His Holy Spirit the fullness of His love. The fullness of it. The question is, will you just take it? Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. He's here. We invite you right now to pull, fill the hands and the hearts of these that are reaching out to you. Father, would you fill them up? Will you display upon their lives and hearts and minds? Will you, Lord, so infill them with your presence, which is your love, you are love, that, Father, that, that would be the foundation, the grounding, the root of everything else that's going to come from their lives. Father, would you fill them now for the, in the name of Jesus for the glory of the Father. Fill them now. Holy Spirit, come. I want you to pray a prayer with me. If you would, pray it after me. Holy Spirit, I receive you now. I don't have to feel it. I don't have to know what it's doing but I want you. Pour your love out in me that I might love others. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a great message. I realized this morning I've picked up some stones myself and worse off, I've thrown some. Uh, The good news is God loves me.
the same as you guys. It doesn't matter what we've done, what we didn't do, what we intended and never did, or what we should have and didn't. The real message is God's love is there for us, and He wants to give it to us no matter what. Amen. Let me share a few quick announcements with you before you get out of here. This is June. Praise God, May's over. In June, we have a baby bottle drive for the New Beginnings of Restoration and Hope Resource Center here in Lampasas. And they provide services for mothers, young mothers. And that's a hot topic right now, the unborn. Amen? If you want to know what to do, you can support somebody who's already witnessing, counseling, and giving these mothers the truth about what their life is, what it means, and what they can do. So grab a baby bottle, fill it with loose change, dollar bills, hundreds, whatever God calls on you to put in it. Put it in there and bring it back to us by the end of the month. If you'd like to write a check, you can just write a check. Down in the memo, you can write Pregnancy Resource Center, NBRH. Just write down the memo and put it in an envelope, and we'll make sure it gets there. So that'll leave a baby bottle for somebody else to fill up. So do that for us and do that for them and make a difference. In That's a local resource here in Lampasas. That's not a national thing. That's for right here. So you can make a difference in your own community. So we have that in June. This Wednesday night at 6.30, Pastor Daryl is going to start a four-week class in the fellowship hall, Holy Habits. I always want to say Habits of the Holy. It's Holy Habits at 6.30. It's a four-week study by Pastor Daryl. It's going to be at 6.30 in the fellowship hall. Y'all come and enjoy getting to sit underneath him again. And lastly, this Saturday the 11th at 8 a.m., the 11th, Saturday the 11th at 8 a.m., also in the fellowship hall, men's breakfast. So men, grab your sons, grab a neighbor, grab somebody, come have breakfast, eat with us in fellowship. Pastor Chris has a real quick announcement before you go on some updates to our building. Thank you, Mike. As most of y'all are aware, we announced quite a while ago about us doing a refresh or a remodel in the sanctuary, uh, and that has been ongoing or in process, even though it may not have looked like it so far. It's kind of like the foundation of a building. They work and work and work and work, and you don't see anything, and then boom, it goes up. Well, we've kind of been in that process since we announced it, and we, we actually have things on order. Uh, chairs are on order. Uh, speaker and sound system lighting is on order, but as you probably see in the news, there's some supply chain issues. <laughs> and so we're, we're experiencing those things and we could throw out some guesstimate dates, but they would most likely be wrong. And so we're, we're going to just wait until we get more accurate dates on that. But we do want you to know that is in process, that is uh, being worked on. And so you will see more and more uh, of that hopefully in the, in the coming months. Um, but we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. But did just want to let you know that is something we are still doing. We're starting to get some questions uh, on that, but just want to let you know uh, that that is all in progress. And we are planning on doing uh, those kind of infrastructure, the light, the sound and stuff first and get that in place. And then we'll do the carpet, the chairs, the, the paint and those kind of things. So and it'll all be you'll see it all kind of at once there in the end. But just wanted to give you an update on that. And if you would like to contribute toward that any uh, on any envelope or on your check, you can just write uh, generations and that will go toward that. So thank you all. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 